It doesn't say what kind of penance. That's true. I feel like you could say a quick Hail Mary. You could even say it like while the pint is in your hand and then like cheers and then you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm Anne McNamee-Keels. And I'm Stephanie Shavera. And this is Lapsed. A podcast about growing up Catholic. This episode will be coming out during Holy Week, I believe, the Tuesday of Holy Week, leading up to Easter. But what I would like to do is invite our listeners, maybe you're, you're in Holy Week right now, whether you care about that or not, because you're lapsed probably. <laughs> Think back, what were you doing two and a half weeks ago? Maybe on that Friday, the 17th. And uh, my specific question is, were you celebrating St. Patrick's Day in any way? That's a good question. Like with green beer, are you wearing green? Because we are recording this on St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) May the snakes run far, far away from you. I like that one. The thing I am most pro, I think, is around St. Patrick is the idea of no snakes, whether it's real or not. No I snakes. just I prefer to be far away from snakes. That's so I'll fair. take it. Yeah. Yeah, I got that. As you're talking about Holy Week, I just realized I have to like consider what I'm if and what I'm doing for Xavier's first Easter. And I'm like, I have not even thought about this and this is coming upon me. What do, what choices to make? I guess There could be children listening on, so I won't say too much except to say I did have a nightmare that it was Easter and I woke up and the Easter bunny had not shown up. (gasps) It was a very anxiety-inducing dream because I thought, oh man, totally forgot about Easter and the Easter bunny did not come. So I was... Gotta do something. You know? Yeah. That'll be fun. When they're babies, you can kind of do whatever you want. It's like more for, for you. I feel like the first couple holidays... With my older son, we were like really trying to make holiday happen. You know, like I baked cookies for his first Christmas and he was like just a couple of months old. I like baked cookies for Santa. He's like, I don't. He didn't know. (laughs) But you did it. So you had a picture maybe. Exactly. For the picture. And then for my second Mm -hmm. son, it was just like, oh, right. Just throw him into everything else is going on because we like barely had it together. I was like, right. Like maybe I can put them in Christmas colors. Maybe. I'm not a big decorator, but having a child has like made me feel the the need to put things up. So I'm like, I must mark this occasion. It's fascinating what parenthood does to you in that way. Yeah. Oh, well. But back to, I mean, I got his little green shirt out. We found in some of our hand-me-down bins. So that'll be going on when he wakes up from his nap. Oh, yay. I think he's like, what, maybe like an eighth Irish. So there you go. That's something. That's enough. Yeah. My kids are like a quarter. At least. We don't really know. On my husband's side, there could be some Irish as well, but for sure, they're a quarter. So That's enough. And everyone's Irish on St. Patrick's Day. Indeed. Uh, Yeah. Well, we'll get into that. (laughs) Any Catholicism in the news, Stephanie? Oh, my. Just gut punch. A gut punch of the news. Oh, man. Okay. I'm ready. I'm bracing myself. The last time we had Catholicism in the news, I felt positive towards our pope mm-hmm. oh dear and now not so much what happened so from the catholic news agency which is a publication i now read because of this podcast i'm familiar <laughs> uh this is the headline i guess i don't even want to say it 
Pope Francis says, gender ideology is one of the most dangerous ideological colonizations today. Oh, my God. Go to hell, Francis. Apparently, he really likes the phrase ideological colonizations. Where does it say that? So (laughs) this paragraph did make me laugh. He has frequently used the term ideological colonization throughout the 10 years of his pontificate. Like, it's a a phrase he he, he likes. I think he just likes the sound of it. I have thoughts about that. The general argument, to sum it up, is that differences are good. And by making things fluid or in between, you're creating gray areas. And now there are no differences. And that's unenriching the lives of humanity. It doesn't make any sense. The yin and the the anti-yin and yang, I guess. Like, he doesn't like, he wants no gray areas. He wants a black and white. And this is a quote from him. This quote is from 2006. So I'm not sure. He did an interview. It's from La Nación, this interview, which was from the 10th of March. So that's why it's in the news. I have to get it all translated. But Catholic News Agency covered it. He said this ideological colonization. And then this, they quote what he said, Today children, this is from 2016, Today, children, children are taught in school that everyone can choose his or her sex. Why are they teaching this? Because the books provided by the people and institutions that give you money. These form of ideological colonization are also supported by influential countries. And this is terrible. Jesus. Which sort of sounds like Ron DeSantis said it. First of all, that's not even true. (laughs) No. So in terms of ideological colonization... (laughs) pot calling kettle (laughs) you know who colonized a bunch of places and you know who decided that despite so many of those places most of those places including the jewish world having many genders many culturally understood genders that were more than two you know who went into all those places and said nope there's only two genders it was the christian jesus people I just saw a really excellent but also very saddening video where this dad who has a trans kid who it also mm-hmm. happens to be a rabbi is driving like several hours every time this school board meets to talk about how in Judaism, I think he says there's historically traditionally nine genders. And so it is encroaching on his religious rights Yeah, to try to teach kids that there's only two india historically has many genders and i was it's good i wasn't going to bring this up but it's good that this came up i was googling around about uh do you know in the bible in acts i've heard of it you know who is converted to christianity not long after jesus is gone Um, there's an ethiopian eunuch who's a non-binary african person who is converted explicitly the Bible talks about how this person becomes a Christian. Without punishing them? And is welcomed into Christianity. Okay, that's the question. I was like, are they punishing him? Got it. I was Googling about eunuchs, and it seems like that word was used in lots of different ways in the Old and New Testament. But what it boils down to is there are people who are living outside of the binary, one way or another, who were assigned male at birth and are now living outside the binary. And God did not even create two biological genders because there are intersex people and there's a lot of them. Yeah. I just, when, <sighs> yeah. So just like now I'm, now I'm sad. <laughs> uh, I am sad. And the idea, like the audacity of trying to accuse anyone of 
ideological colonization around this particular issue when you yourself are the Catholic Church is like laughable. Right. And it's like you invented it. (sighs) I know. And it just, again, even like according to things he said before, it's like until we solve poverty, until we like, why even like go out of your way to have this conversation? Who is it hurting? I don't even have it. Just like question mark. Who is it hurting? When yeah. someone's gender identity doesn't line up with what you think it should. My sense of moral dignity, moral righteousness. I don't know. That's all. In a sermon I recently heard at my church, uh, my Methodist church, my <laughs> the pastor was uh, a little bit railing against this idea that Christians are going after trans kids. And she would, she said, the Pope wears a dress. And I, I had to hold back from like snapping. <laughs> <laughs> so fired up as we discussed with nad right yeah those uh altar server garments are gateway dresses for future drag for kids who want to wear dresses and society tells them they're not allowed to yeah well i'm that also makes me very sad stuff yeah i know so do you have another news that's not as big a gut punch for me well I did want to just send you an onion headline just for the chuckle. We're back on the onion. I'm pro this onion article, even though they were on my bad list recently. Yeah, they got me up and down too. I think this will help you in the moment a little bit. This might lift your spirits. The onion looks back at Pope Francis's 10 years at a dead end job. <laughs> <laughs> Do you- do you want to describe the just the Im- it's really just the image and the headline that the the onion looks back at Pope Francis's first ten years at a dead end job and it's just him chillaxing outside the Vatican, uh, sunbathing, sunglasses <laughs> in a lounge chair, shirtless, shirtless um, wearing a crucifix and giant crucifix. Oh, his sunglasses even have they're like the wraparound sunglasses. They have little crosses. They're like if someone designed Pope sunglasses. So that picture's got to have been photoshopped. No? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. But then, like the next picture, like okay, so and they're all photoshopped. Okay, so there's one of him talking and holding a dildo. Um, one of him talking and holding up a turkey, who's looking like getting pardoned. These are so silly. So the fran- the headline says: "Stunned St. Peter's Square crowd overhears Pope Francis getting." Pitched out by God. <laughs> These are great. Uh, gay couple weirded out by Pope Francis standing in back of wedding ceremony. I don't even understand. No, there's that just one. weird. Pope rummaging through Vatican basement for plastic nativity scene figures is what I can relate to. So, yes. <laughs> Him in a basement. So, yeah, this is... If making fun of the Pope isn't your thing, this might make you uncomfortable, but I don't really care about that right now. So we don't at all. Uh, this is great. You've got a link to that. I will. So yeah, anyone wants a Pope-related chuckle, I, I'll link that in the show notes. Thank you for that. Thanks, Onion. We needed that. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's a less fun one. Yeah, I got nothing, but I have no fun things <laughs> this week. <laughs> Denver area Catholic women say priests denied them communion over, are you ready? Over rainbow masks. Huh? First of all, I'm a, this woman's name is Dottie. Love it. She is 81 years old. 
this woman who was denied communion. He denied communion to an 81-year-old sweet old lady. (laughs) For wearing a rainbow mask. For wearing a rainbow mask. She says she's participated in the liturgy of the Eucharist for many years. She's a devoted Catholic. Um, She was one of two women who said the priest denied them communion when they wore rainbow masks to a February 11th mass at All Souls Parish in Inglewood, a city just outside Denver. She said she was trying not to cry as she walked back to her pew. She went up and he was like, no. (gasps) Yeah. So listen to this. She is a former Regis University professor. She holds a doctorate in scripture and a master's degree in theology. Hmm. She said that the rainbow face coverings were intended to show empathy and compassion for Maggie Barton, who the Denver Archdiocese fired from her teaching job last month at All Souls School after learning she was in a same-sex relationship. So it was a political statement. But dude didn't have any way to know that, first of all. So that's a lot of reading into a what if it was around Noah's Ark? He doesn't know. And listen, I'm just imagining this lovely woman, Dottie, and uh, this priest. And, oh, I like the church bells in the background right Sorry. now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Timing. I'm imagining it's this 11. woman and this priest, and one of them probably knows a lot more about Christianity and theology than the other. Mm-hmm. <sighs> this, Man. to me, just makes me so angry because it's... I imagine, unless that guy has a PhD, but I doubt it. She's like so much more qualified to even talk about Christianity, but she's not allowed to be the one giving out communion and doing I mass. I mean, you are forgetting she's a woman. That she's a, she's a woman. <laughs> oh my God. It's like you are forgetting one crucial point. Which is probably why he did it, because he's horribly intimidated by this woman who i mean she's a parishioner he probably knows how well educated she is it's just like he has to claim power by not giving her communion it feels so temper tantrumy too yes i agree no you can't have my communion also it's not your communion it's jesus and jesus is chill so just this whole stupid idea of who's allowed to get communion which i guess maybe also comes from this thing of like we only give communion to kids to people who've gone through who are Catholic and have gone through the communion thing. I guess it, in some ways it does come back. This idea of gatekeeping, that's like where it starts. Mm-hmm. This article, it's on National Catholic Reporter. It says, Canon 912 of the Church's Code of Canon Law states that, quote, any baptized person not prohibited by law can and must be admitted to Holy Communion. Canon 915 says those, quote, obstinately persevering in manifest grave sin are not to be admitted to Holy Communion. So then they talked to Elizabeth Sweeney Black, who's an associate professor of Christian ethics at St. Louis University, and she says wearing a rainbow mask was a quiet, respectful form of solidarity with Maggie Barton. She says it's difficult to see how one could classify the wearing of masks on this one occasion as, quote, obstinately persevering in manifest grave sin. Mm. If in their consciences, these mask-wearing women believe they were being faithful to their relationship with God, how can anyone argue otherwise? How did the priest know their intentions? There's no prohibition against wearing rainbow attire to mass. Yeah. And there's, I mean, standing up for somebody, for the marginalized, like. Mm-hmm. <sighs> these are just like small, sad little men who are desperate for, I don't know, man, the kind of power that priests used to get the kind of reverence the priests historically get yeah that's what it feels like bow before me yeah there's in it for the power grab i would say like this is the reason the catholic church is losing people mm-hmm. but it's also probably the reason they're gaining some other kinds of people exactly 
people who are like, yes. Be mean. Be mean. Put down women. Put down queer folks. Oh, yeah. Shun people. Shun. Shun. Oh, yeah, 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 Catholic Church. I know. <laughs> We're having a day. <laughs> it's gloomy outside. You know, it's here too. Anything else to share? I mean, I was going to talk about the fact that there's special dispensations today. Mm, that's what I was going to talk about. Hang on. I'm going to text you a picture. That's funny. That's news, but also on topic. It is. I'm, this is exactly what I was going to send you. So I just texted you on your phone. St. Patrick's Day exemption. The Catholic Diocese of Columbus issues a special dispensation to allow meat on Friday during Lent. Uh, there's an asterisk that says church members must perform an act of penance to qualify. <laughs> this is so silly. Nice job, Diocese of Columbus. Wow. I saw a lot of stuff like this, and it's very uh, regional and specific. It's like certain dioceses have to give your parishioners dispensation, or you have to like get it individually from a priest, I guess, because it's happening on a Friday. They said it, and it shall be done, but I didn't know yeah, there was all these different... Nope, got to do penance, otherwise it doesn't count. So if you didn't... It doesn't count. It doesn't say what kind of penance. That's true. I feel like you could say a quick Hail Mary. You could even say it like while the pint is in your hand and then like cheers and then you. <laughs> wow. As you bring the corned beef to your lips on a Friday in Lent. Amazing. Oh, here's one. Rhode Island Catholics are not being issued general dispensation <gasps> to eat corned beef. Oh, no. Have they been bad? <laughs> Bishop Tobin... Bishop Tobin believes it's important to remind the faithful of the importance of our Lenten disciplines. So the requests also serve as an occasion to remind the faithful who receive dispensation to substitute abstinence from meat with other suitable penance, work of charity, or prayer. Is he going to not give communion to people who ate meat today? Yeah, he'll know because they'll be on their masks. <laughs> He's going to be on their social media checking if they had corned beef. Wow. 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 There's, I know, like, I think if you're over a certain age too, you don't have to not eat meat because you like might need it, you know, and you don't have to fast or all that stuff. And if you're under a certain age and if you're pregnant, there's a lot of things. I, I think, think that, but there's some, pe some Tobin-esque people out there in the world that don't believe that. They don't give any. Any dispensation. I kind of wish, you know, like eating plant-based is like better for the environment and stuff. So I feel like, I don't know why mm -hmm. they don't. I would love that marketing from the Catholic Church a little bit. It's like, <laughs> try being plant-based because it's better for the earth. Mm -hmm. That would be, I guess not. I guess they don't want to do that. <laughs> it's just like a secret happy side effect that I know about. Right. Okay. Well, yeah. So that kind of gets us into St. Patrick's Day. Let's do it. Do you feel like you know things about St. Patrick? So back during the shutdown... Mm -hmm. I ran a trivia night for my family on Zoom, and I remember doing a St. Patrick's themed thing. <gasps> okay, so maybe you know this stuff. But a lot of times, yeah, you learn one thing and another thing gets erased from your brain, so says Homer Simpson, and so I do feel like I could not remember any of the answers. I know that that's just your normal water bottle, but I'm going to believe that you're drinking from a green water bottle because it's St. Patrick's Day. And is the little, is the little strap orange that's like the Irish flag? It is. I am. I'm Irish today. Oh my gosh, I love it. And also covered in Disney princesses because my niece came to visit. So perfect, perfect. I feel like, despite growing up where like St. Patrick's Day was such a big deal because everybody was Irish American and we 
went all out. There was a huge mass. There were bagpipes, etc. And I feel like there was always like a coloring sheet around that time. It's like St. Patrick <laughs> was blah blah blah, and the main thing was like the shamrock being the Trinity. That's like that's mostly what I retained from it. Yeah. But when I thought about this today, I was like, I feel like I actually know surprisingly little. Like my understanding of St. Patrick is very fuzzy, especially considering we like made such a huge deal of St. Patrick's Day every year. I always felt this like Trinity thing for the shamrock was, I don't know, because it's like that's for a three leaf clover. Right. Not the fourth. I was like, y'all, no, it's about the four leaf clover. Stop trying to make the three leaf clover a thing. It's not happening. Stop trying to make it happen. I mean- There was Trinity stuff in Celtic, like, pre-Christian mythology as mm-hmm. well. There's a lot of, like, three. So, anywho, I'm going to give you a little quiz, Steph, to start. Yes, 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 yes. It's a lot of true or false. St. Patrick was Irish. True. No. Dang. I, I was almost <laughs> like, I was like, she thinks I think that she yeah, thinks it, that I think he's I. So I just went with Linga. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it's one of those, like, fun facts, similar to, like, I don't know. The Immaculate Conception referred to Mary's birth, not Jesus's. This is another one where it's like, St. Patrick was not Irish. Uh, So he's the foremost patron saint of Ireland. But he was born in what's now England, Scotland, or Wales, depending on who you ask, to a Christian deacon and his wife, probably around the year 390, we think. This happened in like late 300s, early 400s, to sort of hit the time frame. So that's a long time ago. Yeah. English was a wild language back then. (laughs) (laughs) Who even knows? He was enslaved. Did you know this? No. Yeah. So he was enslaved by Irish raiders taken to Ireland. I did kind of, I did know this. Was he like captured in in, in England, Scotland, or Wales? He was taken by pirates, transported him to Ireland, held him captive there for six years. And then he eventually walks really far to the coast, escapes, goes back to England, but then decides to come back to Ireland as a Christian missionary. So uh, this is a little bit of a trick question. Was St. Patrick British? (laughs) I'm going to go with no, because maybe Great Britain wasn't a thing yet. Yeah. So this was so long ago. I mean, in terms of like history, we know much about, or I mean that we learn much about in school and stuff. I feel like Mm -hmm. this isn't a time period I particularly learned a lot about in this part of the world. No. So at, th- at this time, the British Isles are occupied by the Romans. So it's not known whether his family was, they were part of the Roman aristocracy. So he was kind of a rich guy, probably why they kidnapped him. Excellent ransom money. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? They don't know if he was indigenous Celtic descent or from modern day Italy. They're not sure like his family's heritage at that point. Got it. If they were like came from the Roman folks or if they were like part of the occupied people they were like well to do oh so there's things that say that he he was born with the name maywin sukut which sounds pretty celtic or i'm probably saying it wrong maywin but then later he signed his name patricius i saw something on one website that's like a little bit anti-saint patrick because they're like i saw a website that's like get back to pre-christian celtic like learn about celtic religion and they're they basically was like this can't be real about St. Patrick and this is probably BS and blah, blah, blah. So I saw this one theory there. I don't know how true this is that Patricius had was like something that he was given by royalty that meant like upper class or something. But I don't know how true that is. This is a theory I saw. But it seemed like hmm. he had this more celtic name, but then later signed his name Patricius, which then becomes Patrick. And he can read and write. So that's saying something about his upbringing. That is true. Because back then, not always the case. 
No. So it seems like his dad was a Christian deacon. Yeah. But it also seems like his family wasn't per- what I read. I don't know. I don't know how they know this. It's so long ago. Uh, <laughs> his family wasn't particularly religious. His dad was more a deacon for like, because it was like a political thing. Like it was good politically to be a power holder in the church at this time. But they weren't super religious. But supposedly like while he was captive in Ireland, he like had a vision that said, like you need to convert. He like became religious then. Probably because when you're in like a serious situation, you just, what else you can do? Right. I sure pray the most when I'm like in desperate times. Yeah, fair. <laughs> a lot of people do. Atheists will be like, yeah, I said a prayer because I was scared, right? Like, okay. I don't know. Yep. So that's when he became super Christian, even though his mm-hmm. he had been raised Christian, but it's like he became super Christian while he was being held captive. That'll do it to you. It will. I Because I know. <laughs> Did St. Patrick bring Christianity to Ireland? And that's what he's famous for, I think. So, yes. That's what I believed previous to this. Uh What I'm learning is that there were probably already some Christians. He was not the first missionary. So there were some Christians in Ireland already, but it, like, wasn't very common. Got it. But he was, like, a very successful missionary. He brought it to a lot more people. Just so charming. I guess. Okay. Um, Half a point? Yeah, there you go. I'm because I'm totally keeping score. <laughs> Did St. Patrick really banish snakes from the Emerald Isle? No. I I believe what I remembered is that snakes were a symbol for sinners because there aren't actually any snakes on the Isle of Ireland. Yeah. I mean, that's what I read is storytelling in Ireland kind of even was a big deal back then. So there were a lot of, a lot, not just that one, but a ton of very fantastical stories about St. Patrick. I saw in one place, let's see, this is an America magazine from our buddy, mm. or not really, Jim McDermott, who wrote the, the hit piece on Ouija boards. That we right. I mean, his, his writing is pretty funny. He's trying to be cool for sure. And maybe he mm-hmm. thinks his niece is reading. I don't know. <laughs> he gives some detail that... St. Patrick during Lent decided to do a 40-day fast on top of a mountain in County Mayo. I don't know if this was while he was enslaved or when he came back. Probably when he came back. And then he was harassed by crows the whole time. Ooh. That sounds terrifying. Did he dive bombing? Yeah. Supposedly the crows were actually demons. Oh, my. And then he says, but somehow St. Patrick kept right on praying and ringing a bell. And he puts in parentheses because reasons. This is why I think he thinks his niece is reading. Who? <laughs> <laughs> Got that bell? Yeah, rang a bell. Maybe he was trying to keep the crows away. I don't know. An angel came and said that because of Patrick's faithfulness, his prayer would be answered. The Irish would be Christians until Judgment Day. And then he came down the mountain and saw some snakes and was like, I don't even have time for this. I already dealt with some crows. Snakes, get out of here. And the snakes just left. What? (laughs) He was so exasperated at that point that he just... I mean, for that legend of the snakes to really take hold, the fact that it's just like, ugh, get out. Like, that just doesn't feel like an epic story, that part. Okay. It's like when you're so, when you've like had such a bad day and then you're just like, I don't even have time for this. And it's just like, oh, okay. Wow. There are other stories that I think aren't as popular. There's one about turning into a deer. He turned into a deer. He's like running from the druids. He's like fighting the druids a lot. 
who were pagans, God forbid. So they had a different kind of religion. And he was like, no, we don't like this religion. You have to be Christian. And so he's always like battling against them. Oh, yeah. So this, I'm telling you, Jim McDermott, he's really trying. He, he, the, the like sub headline here is remember that time we were dear? What? I know. Uh, He's really trying to be funny. Patrick and a companion were on their way to preach at the Hill of Tara, which is really the holiest of holy places for Druids. And he realized they were going to be ambushed. Well, yeah, if you go to someone's holy place to tell them that their religion is BS, I feel like, yeah, they're going to say get out. So he's supposed to be the hero here, but it does sound like he's being really obnoxious and interrupting someone's religious ceremony. It says, despite not being either natively Irish or a pagan, in the magical equivalent of stealing your opponent's rhyme and using it against them, St. Patrick drew on a power called Fet Fiata. I'm absolutely saying that wrong because Irish doesn't look anything like what what it sounds like, um, that transformed him and his companion into wild deer and successfully hid them from their antagonists. Yeah, that feels pretty pagan. Pagan magic. Yes, because it was Irish freaking pagans telling these stories, even if they were like, we like Jesus, but also pagan stories. He turned into a deer. I feel like that's enough to get some Christians to burn you. <laughs> You'd think, but they were yeah. the pagans, so they... I feel like you almost need to turn into a deer for these pagans to believe in your stuff. Yeah. Yes, this is true. You got to get some real magic. <laughs> Has green always been associated with St. Patrick's Day? I, I, <sighs> mm, I'm going to go with no, no, even though Ireland's like what emeralds, right? Like it's supposed to be green. But I'm going to say emerald isle. I feel like marketing might play into this. So I'm going to go with no. So Ireland is known for being very green, the Irish countryside. But knights in the Order of St. Patrick wore a color known as St. Patrick's Blue. Oh. So blue was his color for a long time. The association with green probably dates back to the 18th century when supporters of Irish independence used the color to represent their cause. Because remember, Ireland is green and then Northern Ireland is orange. Oh. Those are the colors. As far as I know. I don't know much about that at all, so I'm not going to pretend to. Okay. That's why. Got it. So more of a nation, nationalistic, and patriotic kind of thing than a saint thing. Not necessarily St. Patrick. Yeah. Where was the first St. Patrick's Day celebration as we know it? New York. It definitely it was the U.S. You're close. Um, what I read is Boston. Oh, that makes more sense. Okay. I always forget about Boston. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the Boston Irish are like the same as the the chicago irish is the closest i've found got it i have a friend here a lovely friend who her in-laws are like boston catholics and they were in town and she was like hey would your mom want to come hang out with my mother-in-law and like have the kids have a play date and i was like sure and she's like a boston catholic and my mom was like i don't it's kind of like okay i'll do it but you know I'm just going to go hang out with some stranger. That's fine. I'll do it. I'll, she was babysitting my son anyway. And then I was like, how'd it go? And she was like, oh, it was great. We got along so well. It's like, yes, because you are the same. Same. Boston Irish Catholic grandma, Chicago Irish Catholic grandma, the same ilk. Cut from the same cloth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why. I just feel like sometimes when something's actually yours, like St. Patrick's Day being St. Patrick belonging to the Irish, like we don't need to throw a parade for it. So I don't know. Parades feel American for some reason. Yeah. So in Ireland, it was more of just like a Catholic feast day. I mean, people did go to church and stuff. Right. Bars were actually historically closed for that day because it was like a day of prayer. And it's during Lent. So. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was Irish Americans 
you know, as we often see, I think people who are a minority group and wanting to celebrate celebrate their identity. And at the time, we're really a uh, we're not necessarily seen as white yet. So in the U.S. when this started, so we're a little more marginalized. Uh, But they we sure became white real quickly when it benefited us. So Uh, yeah, I don't even know how to. how to phrase this to make it like an intro Wait, these are all like question. feel like i'm giving the answer in the is corned beef an irish dish uh, no yeah you're you've gotten the the gist of this at this point most yeah. of the answers are no no it is not so in ireland a type of bacon similar to ham is the customary protein on St. Patrick's Day. In the late 19th century, Irish immigrants in New York's Lower East Side substituted corned beef. So do you know which ethnic group, actually, I did know this, which ethnic group uh, the corned beef is from, that they borrowed it from? I'll give you a hint. Went to the deli and purchased. I think the Jewish? Mm -hmm. It's Jewish, yeah. I like corned beef and pastrami, and yeah, that makes sense to me. It's a Jewish type of meat, but... uh, That makes sense. Irish Americans were like, this is available and closest to what we have. And and cheap, I'm guessing, at that point? Probably cheap. Probably, they didn't even have to cook it themselves. They can just go to the deli. There you go. <laughs> Their Jewish neighbors were probably like, sure, yeah, whatever. I bet that f- those first couple years, the Jewish delis were like, what is happening around in March? These Why people are, are coming in droves. Here? We're having to make like seven times the corned beef we normally do. My little town just had its first St. Patrick's Day parade and we were eating dinner last night and I was like, what is that? I forgot about the parade and it was just like, it was fireworks. But when you're not expecting the sound of fireworks, I'm just like, what is happening? That's concerning. And your poor dog, dogs don't like fireworks at all. I've never heard of fireworks for St. Patrick's Day. They love a firework thing around here. They'll they'll do it for anything. I feel like I'm still confused about St. Patrick's Day in the U.S. because I grew up where it was such a big deal, and I I grew up like thinking my life was normal. Like my my specifically Irish Catholic. Everybody's Catholic. Everybody's right. Irish or Polish kind of life. The whole world must look like this. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, St. Patrick's Day is a really big deal. Then as I got older, I was like, oh, everyone's not Catholic. And I grew up in this weird little world. And so that's like not the case that St. Patrick's Day is a big deal. But now I feel like I've looped back around where I'm like, oh, this person, like people do celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Like my Southern mother-in-law will like put out green, a little bit of green decor for St. Patrick's Day. Did you ever have an elementary school teacher who would like stage a visit from leprechauns? So my son was very excited today. My eight-year-old, both of my kids, they're doing tons of leprechaun stuff right now. And they made leprechaun catchers yesterday at school. So he was very excited to see what's going to happen. He was like, I heard that some kids in my class, like there's crazy stuff that's gone on overnight. The leprechaun has turned the toilet water green and stuff. And I was like, mm, it doesn't Uh-oh. happen in our house. Cause he told me this at like, you know, 8 p.m. last night. And I was, like, don't have time. Like, oh, well, I bet it'll be really fun at school. Ironically, I think the only place a leprechaun thing happened that I recall was in kindergarten with Mrs. Schmigelski at the very Polish Catholic school I went to that year. That's where the leprechauns like to go. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the Irish people didn't do the leprechaun stuff. They were doing other things. And then oh. the non-Irish teachers are like, oh, yeah, we do leprechauns. What about you? I remember a couple different grades. You'd show up and it was like your tables were upside down and things were drawn on the chalkboard and it was all very impish. 
we would put powder on the ground, I think, and she would put like footprints in it, like teeny tiny. Oh, yeah. Footprints in it, like in the chalk dust or something. It's just very funny to me. I'm like, that's nothing to do with St. Patrick. No. <laughs> like, it's like a secular all. thing, though. It's like the Easter Bunny. It's like a secular version of this, but it's just like a more niche holiday. I think after Christmas and New Year, it's just, and there's Valentine's, there's like nothing and spring isn't coming and you just want to bang your head against a wall. And so people are just desperate. Especially here. Yeah. March is like, March is like, oh, it can be rough when it's- We have to do something to get ourselves through. Catch a leprechaun. I I don't know. You just need something. <laughs> I, yeah. No, I totally agree. And uh yeah, my kids were very excited about it. I do remember in kindergarten, I think this is now I realize this is weird. I think part of the deal in kindergarten, I remember it. So clearly it made an impact on me. I was five when the leprechaun came is that there was something to do with magic beans. So I feel like my teacher was maybe just what? confused because why does the leprechaun have magic beans? But there were magic beans involved, like what? Jack and the Beanstalk. It all got mixed up. But I had these magic beans, which I now realize were just like dried pinto beans or something. Like sparkly or something? No, they're just normal beans. But it, <laughs> I love, I actually love like the framing of the magic around it made it exciting that there were beans. Like I do like yeah. that. So I brought the beans home and I forget what you were supposed to do with your beans, but I brought them home and um, then I put them in like a special place and then I couldn't find them. And it turned out my little brother, who was two at the time, had put them in my piggy bank. But I had a piggy bank that you fill up and then break at the end. It, there was no way to get yeah. the stuff out. So I was very distraught because my beans were gone and I couldn't get them back. And my teacher told me – my mom worked at the school, so she like talked to my teacher about this. And my teacher told me that maybe it would make extra money show up in my piggy bank because they were magic beans. Nice save. Clearly, I'm, I held on to that because I still recall the weird magic beans. Right. Yeah. So I just I continue to feel this way. Like I even even like a Facebook friend who is a Mormon was talking about doing St. Patrick's Day stuff. I feel like I've, people are. It just needs something to do. They yeah, and it's fine. It's great. It's mostly like green, green and leprechauns. Right. I used to call. I can't remember what phrasing I used, but like in Chicago, going in Wrigleyville, going down Clark Street. If you just. St- were able to stay there for a whole year. You'd watch the same people parading down drunk. They just have different colors on. You could watch like having like Cinco de Mayo. Over and over again. And just like we got whatever. purple, and then we got Mardi Gras, and then we got same. Pa- it's like it was the same exact holiday with different colors. Just this excuse to like binge drink. I used to love reading the police blotter the day after these holidays because they were wild. What happened on Clark Street was. I'd moved to Chicago from New York and I know people binge drank in New York, but like there, the Chicago Wrigleyville, like it was like college drinking. It was very different than anything I had ever experienced as an adult. I was like, this is wild. As a person who's just not interested in that culture, but also as a White Sox fan, not a Cubs fan, Mm. I basically avoid Wrigleyville like the plague it's just not these are not my people these are the opposite of my people in every way my first apartment was on clark just north of wrigleyville and the amount of people that were just passed out on my doorstep after these holidays i could i was it was because i lived also across the street from like the 
the next North 7-Eleven. So like mm, people would oh go gosh. to 7-Eleven and get like a hot dog and then find a stoop and pass that. And it was always my stoop. Around this time, they're all like dressed in green. And, and there were so many girls that were just like left there. It was just the worst. Oh, no. <laughs> Just the worst. I'm like, you guys. And it could be really can... cold at that time. And these the girls are like. In... And they're all wearing mini skirts and yeah. Uggs. You're like, oh no, you're going to get frostbite. I That happens. So I just, yeah, I think it's, I mean, there's like the aspect that, well, let's find an excuse to party. Yeah. And then it's the bleakness of winter. And then you're, yeah, especially I think as a teacher too, those kindergarten teachers, it's like summer break is so, I can't get to spring break. I just need something to entertain these monsters. So I guess that's probably why it took hold. That's my theory. I have had people bring up to me, like, is it cultural appropriation? Like to do all the weird Mm drinking stuff and like my response is i'm super irish american here and i'm like zero percent marginalized for it and (laughs) it's fine the irish are doing fine here go have have fun i did see a tiktok that a friend just sent me something i want to learn more about and read more about it's like i feel very much like the irish were oppressed people who came to the u.s and then kind of gave up parts of their humanity and culture to become white and to then oppress people of color essentially which is what that's what that became very quickly because just literally just because of our phenotype of looking Mm -hmm. more white yeah and so I feel like there's something around that and also I I need to find this but I swear I read something that like the policing the really brutal policing tactics that were developed in England to be used like against the Irish were then borrowed in the u.s and then the it was irish cops is irish cops using that against people of color like these tactics that were created to suppress the irish trauma begetting trauma totally and i did see this interesting video from an anti-racism educator and tiktoker who i hadn't hadn't been super familiar with named Keena Reed. I can post a link to it but a friend sent me this one she's saying like not she's like i just want to be clear i'm not saying like white Irish people have it bad right now racially, like they're not oppressed, you know, but that there was this giving up of a culture sort of to become Mm -hmm. like whiteness is kind of the absence of a culture. It's, it's kind of this, it only exists in in opposition to other things Mm -hmm. and only around power. It's not actually like its own culture, you know? Right. And uh, that the Irish in some way lost a lot when we, joined that in the U.S. and there's a piece of grief around that that she feels like is that that it's okay to to recognize that there's a grief in that and I found it Hmm. really interesting so I'm gonna yeah I'll I'll post I'll post a link to that because I do think it's again not like we're not oppressed but there's but what you're saying about you know these marginalized groups and we've talked before about how Catholics were I would say I guess more marginalized or you know thought to be different other than especially as they were immigrating to the U.S. Mm-hmm. at some point, which I find it really fascinating that two of our like biggest <laughs> national holidays that are like not I don't know, but we have Saint Valentine's Day and Saint Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. I would love to read more. How did that happen? <laughs> or even like other Christians who are like anti idolatry mm-hmm. and anti saints, and I'm like, get back off, Ben. No hearts for you. <laughs> What's with your Valentine's Day then? Yeah, yeah. that's true. Just it's it's an interesting evolution, and I'm not, I don't know, not quite l- linked together. One in our education on them, so I don't know. Yeah, more questions than answers, stuff. That's what we're looking for here. Always, always, always. So here we have some responses, thinking about questions and uh, 
past episodes and things we've pondered. Do, yeah. So our episode, uh, two episodes ago, we had some responses. I'm going to play a voicemail. This is from past guest, friend of the pod, Kay Creasel. I think they were our first guest. First guest. Yeah. So they called in to talk about, so just to, to remind folks, I had mentioned watching the show Pose, which is about ballroom culture, black and brown uh, LGBTQ folks in New York in the 80s, 90s. And I had mentioned that they depicted this die-in at a Catholic church yeah, because they were opposing the Catholic church kind of getting in the way of promoting condoms and other things because the AIDS crisis was raging. So Kay sent us a response. Hey, it's Kay, and I'm so glad you talked about that episode of Posed that included the protest in the cathedral. I was in a queer Catholic group a few years ago, and one of the members of the group was a founding member of ACT UP who was there. And if you read the old newspaper articles about what happened, the newspaper articles will say that ACT UP tore up the Eucharist and threw it on the ground. Now, my corroborator, who told me the story, said there was one young man in the group who was about 19 or 20 who had a personal vendetta against the Catholic Church because he was raised Catholic. And he was the one who did that. The rest of ACT UP said they did not want this to be personal. They just wanted to get media attention and to start a conversation with the church, which obviously didn't happen. (laughs) And later on, the guy who tore up the Eucharist did apologize for it. So that's a little bit of Catholicism in the news in the 80s for you. Fascinating. Also, like, way to continue to teach the lesson that you can never, you need to go look at multiple sources from different points of view. Totally. I hadn't even read that when I was reading about um, the die-in, but that's really interesting. It also, like, really breaks my heart for that person. Like, I just feel sad for that person that, to a non-Catholic, that's not a big deal. To someone raised Catholic, that is a big deal. And to think of, like... Mm -hmm. The pain. Yeah, how much pain. And we, you know, we talked in our last episode about this idea of, like, seeing the church as what's supposed to be a source of love and it telling you that you're a sin and you're wrong. We talked about that with with Nat. Mm -hmm. So I just feel for that person back then yeah but uh, yeah also the one person's act getting generalized for the whole thing like just Mm -hmm. distracting from the message um totally yeah well thanks Kay thank you Kay yeah thank you I love that they uh have that from the source from someone who was there Mm -hmm. that's very cool okay we got one other let's see we got a a Facebook message from a listener listener Lisa. So this was in response to both of our shock stuff that um, <laughs> that Ash Wednesday is not a holy day of obligation. I still don't believe it. I, we both were convinced it was. So she says, Lisa says, there are eight question mark holy days of obligation. She said it varies by country and year. So I had no idea it could vary by country. Now this isn't just papal. Yeah. Okay. At the bishop's discretion. So in, that's like one of the, an area where bishops have power. Got it. She said Ash Wednesday is not. Neither is Holy Thursday or Good Friday. Holy Thursday? I didn't know. They just marched us to church as kids. Isn't Holy Thursday the really austere one? Or is that Friday? Which one's the really, really like no. That's the, what's it called? Stations of the Cross? That one feels, my goodness. If anything feels like an obligation, it's that one. That one's rough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not an obligation. 
I wish I'd known that when I was fighting with my dad about going. Okay. <sighs> Mel Gibson's favorite, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love a good Mel Gibson. <laughs> okay. Let's see. In fact, the only day of the year there is not a mass is Good Friday through Easter. Huh? Oh, it's not a mass, right? There's no mass Good Friday, and technically the Easter vigil is on Saturday. There's no mass because, oh, because we're like in mourning. We can't like do the Eucharist. Because Jesus is dead. Because Jesus is dead. You can't do the Eucharist when Jesus is dead. It all makes sense now. Huh. She said, I think Epiphany used to be a holy day of obligation when I was a kid. It's not now. It's observed on the next nearest Sunday. Yeah, there's like Epiphany Sunday, like after Christmas and stuff. So interesting. Those things, you know, you just believe all this was written in stone, basically like handed over to Moses and you got to follow it. And then you learn that it's real loosey goosey, much more than any of us understood. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Lisa. Thank you for that information. Mm-hmm. We've got to keep doing this podcast so I can finally learn all this stuff. I know. <laughs> thanks, listeners, for educating us. This is why we do this. Absolutely. That was entertaining and enriching and healing after (laughs) some horrible news. So thank you, Anne. Thank you, Steph. Collection basket. Yeah. So considering uh, Tennessee is burning down its own house, um, we would like to support We Care Tennessee, which is a Memphis-based nonprofit supporting trans women of color through education and empowerment with the goal that they have the same equity and quality of life as envisioned, which... I can't think of anything bad about that. Sounds important. Mm-hmm. I'll include the link in the show notes. Awesome. All right. Well, I hope all our listeners had an excellent St. Patrick's Day one way or another. And here in real time, I hope you have a good St. Patrick's Day staff. Have we have a good St. Patrick's Day and a, a grand Holy Week whenever there this you comes go. out. Holy Week. Happy Holy Week, friends. <gasps> all right, Steph. And also with you. And also with you, Anne.